The Athletic. Hi there and welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic and this is Adam Leventhal back once again for our regular midweek podcast, the uh, Watford correspondent for The Athletic and alongside me, as always, is David Cameron Walker back from the United States, safely back. How are you? Still a bit jet lagged, still a bit Mm. hungover, but I'm good. Pleased (laughs) to be back. Uh, I did manage to watch most of Watford's uh, three games whilst I was over there. Um, it was a oh. bit tricky. I had to I had to search the streets a few times for for you know, like sports bars that would be open at nine a.m. in the morning and try and uh, explain to some poor confused uh, barista who was like in a coffee <laughs> slash sports bar. Can you, have you got have you got NBC uh, Aston Villa Watford and you know I got there in the end, but I, I missed uh, I, I did miss most of the Man United game actually. But I saw the I saw I I saw all ninety four minutes of of the Crystal Palace game, whereas oh, I no. missed I missed some of the other two, uh, which is typical really. But uh, yeah, it was fun. Oh, that's good. It was good to have you back. It's a shame that you picked exactly the wrong game to watch all of because Crystal Palace was an absolute... I had my shirt oh. on. They were like... Low, oh, I, no. I, I also, I, there were some guys with me who were big Man United fans and United were playing in the Champions League at the same time. And I really, really had to make the case to, to get Watford on the screen and the big screen ahead of ahead of Man United. Um, I had my shirt on and everything. And yeah, I, I was very much left with egg on my face by the end of that particular yeah. evening. Yeah, on a night out, it's, it's quite rare for Dave to have his, uh, his shirt on of any description, actually, <laughs> having been out with him a few times. <laughs> well, it was minus three in Texas. So I, I had to have many, many shirts on, actually. You heard the, uh, the unmistakable dulcet tones there of... Uh, Mike Parkin, who is here once again. Uh, We've been here keeping the home fires burning and watching Watford home, which is awful, but away, which has been all right, hasn't it? Yes, it's definitely better to be a Watford away fan than it is a home fan at the moment. Much better results away from, uh, from Vicarage Road, which needs to change pretty quickly, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I'm hopefully... Well, I say hopefully, it is it's sort of blind hope. We will try, try and figure out how Watford can actually do better at home because the form is is terrible. Ten defeats, which is two worse than anyone else in the Premier League. Seven in a row at home. But when you do look at the games, there is there is a little bit of a glimmer of hope. The fact that so many of the home games so far uh, have been against the, the big clubs in the league. And I suppose when you're... When you're down in the bottom three, every club that's above you seems to be a big club. And we've made a lot of clubs look like big clubs when they've been at Vicarage Road. But just going down the list, Manchester City lost against them. Liverpool lost against them. Chelsea lost against them. The outlier was Manchester United. West Ham lost against them. Arsenal coming up this weekend and we'll look ahead to the Arsenal game. Lost against Tottenham. Lost against Wolves. Lost against Southampton. I'm down to ninth in the league. Uh, Tenth, lost against Brighton, 11th, lost against Crystal Palace. We've still got five of the bottom nine to come, though. So Leicester, Brentford, Leeds, Everton and Burnley. So 
that does mean that there is some hope that Watford can turn that home form around. And if they don't, it's quite simple, isn't it? If they don't, they deserve to go down. And then everyone will not be happy, but can't have any complaints. But how do you think, and Mike, I'll come to you first on this, because obviously, you know, Dave was away for, for the Crystal Palace game. Fantastic, fantastic time, even though he did watch it. Um, what do you think is missing? Is it is it the team? Or as one of the questions that was posed to me on social media, just before we recorded this podcast, I asked for some questions and it was it was asked by Barry Giles. What is contributing to our poor home form under all three coaches? Do we as fans need to up our game? So is it the team or is it the fans or is it a combination of the two? Mike. Very, very loath to criticise the, the fans, really, because the as we've outlined um, already, the, the home performances have been so poor. And I think as a as a general rule, as a supporter, you go to a football match to, to enjoy yourself. That's the bottom line. You pay your money in the hope that you're going to go and enjoy it. You're watching your team in action. And really, the results have got, if anything, incrementally worse at home, haven't they? There's been very little to uh, enjoy and ergo very little to to cheer about. I understand what Barry's getting at with that point because Vicarage Road has been exceptionally quiet and you'd, you'd think that perhaps in a, in a relegation battle that then, that, then we, as supporters we'd be getting behind them more. But there hasn't even been a, a spark really, has there, to, to get the fans going. There hasn't really been much to, to hold on to. I think the, probably the most exciting or, or memorable moment was that that equaliser against Crystal Palace when it came we, we hit back quite quickly with a thunderous header from from Sissoko we thought right okay we could we could get going now but it, it wasn't to be so I'm not going to criticise the the supporters of which I am one of course for being quiet when the performances have been so bad I, I do think probably we could do more but we need something from the team I, I think your point about the the teams we've played is a good one. A lot of the teams we've played are significantly better than Watford and we wouldn't expect to beat them or get good results against them, all things being equal anyway. And also, this might be a little bit controversial, but if you're thinking about the Crystal Palace game and thinking about the way Watford are evidently going to play under Roy Hodgson, it's going to be very, very fine margins. So we're not going to create stacks and stacks of chances. The idea, basically, is we keep it as tight as we can and then take one of the, what, three or four chances that we do create. Now, Crystal Palace was poor. They scored two very late on to make to give the, the, the scoreline a bit of a skew-if appearance. But towards the end of that first half, Emmanuel Dennis had a decent chance to make it 2-2, which meant we could have reset for the second half and we could have been game on again. He didn't take it, and, and the rest is history, and, the, and, and it goes down as one of those one of the sort of most unpleasant nights in uh, in Watford watching history this season, doesn't it? But those are the margins you're at. If that goal goes in, perhaps that game wouldn't have been so so bad. But I think so I think to answer your question, the the team need to get the fans going. The opposition have that we've faced have been have been difficult. But also we need to take our chances when they come because we haven't been doing that often enough. That's the way we're gonna have to play. It's the way we are going to play. If we miss our chances, we're going to have more Crystal Palaces than than not. So it sounds obvious, but when those chances come along, we have to have to take them because there's just quite frankly going to be so few of them. I know this sounds like a, almost like a sadistic thing to do, but I wanted to just take a quick journey through our home season so far and just try and work out why there's been 
a, a general sort of apathy and and malaise that has 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 crept in and and it has sort of it's ebbed and flowed a little bit over the course of the season but if you remember that first game it was fantastic sun shining beautiful day and Watford came out of the traps flying and that set the tone but then subsequent to that and this is when fears were starting to sort of surface about whether Shisco Munoz was the right guy when Watford then returned in the Premier League there was the game against Wolves and Watford didn't really get near to them and obviously lost 2-0 and it didn't go to plan then his final home game was that match against Newcastle where they hadn't won and Watford were being outplayed by a struggling team and everyone was worried and the away fans were really, really noisy and they were really noisy against Steve Bruce, which was one of his final games. I was basically sat in the away end that day. I was right at the end of the Sir Elton John, really close up to the Vicarage Road end, which was great fun when uh, when the uh, Josh King VAR disallowed what would have been a winner was eventually disallowed and I was giving it the big time and then they, yeah, we had a bit of a back and forth then. But yeah, you going through the season, correct me if I'm wrong, we've only scored the first goal three times at home this season, right? Against Villa, against Manchester United and against West Ham. Obviously against Villa and Manchester United, we pressed home the advantage and we went on and we scored again. We played well and we got three points comfortably in both matches. Well, pretty comfortably against Villa, even though it was a bit squeaky bum time at the end. But obviously against West Ham, within about a few minutes, Antonio's gone down the other end, Bowen's gone down the other end and, and they ran away with it. And I, I really think that is the essential issue for me, is that we just haven't seized the metal enough at home. We haven't seized the momentum and if we score first against Arsenal, the place will be rocking and there will be noise. It, it, even in those moments like against Crystal Palace, when we have come back into matches or have taken the initiative, there's been too often we've relinquished it straight away. And, and you know, not too long after Sissoko, Sissoko scoring that header against Palace, you know, they go up the other end and Gallagher scores a great goal and they're back in front. And, I, and essentially, just we haven't been good enough at home. And, I, and, I, and that has bred this atmosphere of discontent, of apathy. We've never been, to use an example of like Roy's old club, Crystal Palace, we've never been like them, where they've got like the Holmesdale fanatics. I know we've got the 1881, but we're just not the same as them. We don't create noise spontaneously from the start, I don't think. I saw the club post a video the other day uh, harking back to the Liverpool victory in the 1920 season and they sort of had the subtitle, The Rookery Roar. And I bet if you go back and watch that game, I bet we weren't completely tearing the house down from kickoff. It was only once we went ahead and it looked like we were going to do something and then we went on to be winning 3-0 that all of a sudden everyone gets up and it becomes a famous atmosphere. We're capable of it, but it has to be inspired by the team. If you look at it, this, this does actually go back to the, the beginning of the 1920 season when there was um, that move to try and get the, the 1881 in the centre of the rookery end. And it was sort of, it didn't quite work out and, you know, people getting annoyed. And then, you know, the aim was to try and take that noise, which was, you know, being instigated from that southwest corner into the centre to try and keep the, the momentum of the 1881 going. And that didn't happen. And I think a few noses were put out of joint on both sides, the 1881 and also the fans as well. And then we saw how it sort of developed uh, during that season. 
So that started off on the wrong foot. Obviously, since coming back from the, the pandemic, we, we had great, great support against Aston Villa. But, and I wanted to sort of carry on a little bit with going through the games. Obviously, first game of, of Ranieri was just like, oh my goodness, against Liverpool. Then it was after Everton taking a step back against Southampton. Then we had a great night against Manchester United. It was in that flurry of games against Chelsea and Manchester City where we were underdogs and we were performing well. Equalised against Chelsea, Emmanuel Dennis, uh, with a nutmeg, by the way. And look out for an article coming up on The Athletic about nutmegs. And then the game against West Ham, which was after the COVID interval that, that Watford had, weren't really at the races. But then against Tottenham, did well, were quite resilient. And there was more of that sort of battling atmosphere. But then you try and instigate a big atmosphere against Norwich. Big game, on TV, fireworks... What a damp squib <laughs> that was from Watford. What's, what's the reverse of fireworks in, when it comes to a performance? Oh, oh I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, it, it was just awful, wasn't it? But, Mike, I wanted to sort of come to you on this is sort of, you know, sort of going through and letting it wash over us a little bit. It has to be led by the performance. It has to be led by the by the intent. And look, I know we're having this conversation, you know, right now ahead of Arsenal, but... I don't necessarily think we are going to get that sort of performance, that barnstorming start where we come out of the blocks flying at all, probably from Roy Hodgson's side, but in particular against Arsenal. And I would agree with that as well. You know, if we can if we can hold out a little bit against Arsenal and maybe play as we did at Old Trafford against Arsenal, then I think that that is the pragmatic way to approach this game. But then in games against Leeds against Brentford, against Everton, Leicester. We need to set the tone and we have to be on the front foot. Do do, do you concur with that point of view? I absolutely do. And I think we have opportunities to do that because when Watford break, they can look exciting and they can look dangerous and they can, you know, edge of the seat stuff is probably pushing it a little bit. But, you know, Emmanuel Dennis is box office. Ismail Asar can be box office. Pedro, when he's fit, is someone we can all get behind. Sissoko getting the ball and storming forward, is it, it can be a sight to behold. It doesn't happen often enough, which is why we, we're having the conversation we're having. But what I wanted to ask both of you guys, really, and just to go back to your point, Adam, about use the word apathy, which I think is, is right. And again, it's not a criticism of of supporters because I am one and 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 I'm if, if if anyone's guilty I'm as guilty as anyone but I wonder whether there is this creeping realization amongst us as Watford supporters that actually our time of being able to compete at this level is either up or about to to be up for who knows how long because the game is changing so so quickly and the number of teams that are disappearing over the hill in terms of investment, you know, Newcastle look like they're going to stay up this season and that's them, you know, them gone into the distance. They, they're not looking down. They're looking at, uh, at Champions League and, and, and championships. And then, you know, Brighton, who we were competing with three or four years ago, just so solid in terms of the, the wealth that's behind them, the, 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 the money that uh, Tony Bloom's got, for example. Southampton have had new investment. Wolves are, are solid with their investment. Um, so the top, it was the top four, then it's the top six. Now it almost feels like a top 12 who are incredibly solid financially. They have vastly superior resources to the rest. And I just wonder whether... As Watford fans, collectively, we're sort of sitting there looking at the table and thinking, 
this is difficult and is going to only going to get harder and harder and harder and more difficult to compete. Now, whether that's, you, do you need to be lucky, uh, which I maintain we were lucky the first season we came up in as much as we hit on that, that partnership of Troy Deeney and Igalo. No one expected them to score the goals they did. They, they hit an absolute bucket load and we had nothing to worry about for, for two seasons. Um, so you do need a little bit of, of luck or you have to invest a staggering amount of money, really, in, in staying up, which may or may not be successful. So Leverton, for example, well documented, have spent what, spent, what half a billion over the last uh, number of years and are in serious danger of relegation. So I just wonder whether... It, so I'll throw it back to you guys, really, Ad, and maybe maybe for, for you to kick off. Are we out of our depth? Not not through any fault of our own, but just because of the, the changing nature of the Premier League. Look, I think it's a very it's a very valid point, and it is it is very true that you've got teams like Newcastle, which are just accelerating away, and they have come from a group of competitors in the in the Premier League for relegation fodder, and it does feel a little bit more like an old school promotion, more of a ninety nine, more of a a two thousand and six promotion, where you'd go up. You'd have a couple of plucky wins here and there, but you'd you'd know that you were going to end up going down. That also brings into it the the change in perspective of of Watford fans and and some of the the Watford fans who have been, you know, lucky enough to to have started coming during the the, the Pozzo era, which is you know ten years old now, and they're very lucky to have had a you know really exciting time to be watching this side. Dave and I just before we we started recording this, we're looking back at the the games against Arsenal. You know they go all the way back to 1905-1906 in terms of the the head to head, but we only started playing Arsenal in the 80s. It is still relatively recently that we've actually been a team that could be competing at the top level and even since then obviously we've gone down to the to the third tier so we are one of the clubs with the smallest budgets we are one of the smallest clubs in terms of our ground in terms in terms of our catchment area as well in terms of youth players and things like that we're also competing against the likes of Arsenal and and Tottenham and all the other London clubs in terms of academy prospects too so we are up against it a lot I suppose that the, the valid thing is that before you were able to come up and there are outliers like 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 Burnley, for example, who have got a model based around Sean Dyche and it has worked. And you think if you pull the pin of Sean Dyche out of Burnley, they would probably head south. Probably, probably. But what Watford had before was a different model and a model that worked. Ever since the FA Cup final and subsequent to that, you know, the rows behind the scenes about bonuses and, and stuff like that, they have gone backwards fast and things have started to unravel. So if somehow, hook or by crook, they can wrestle this likely relegation away and just by the skin of their teeth stay up, what they need to do is have a long, hard look at how the club is being run and what they're doing and why the culture is leading to this sort of cascade of changing manager, changing manager, changing manager. Because as Adrian Mariapa said on the last podcast, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for the players. It doesn't work for the managers. And word gets around. It has a negative sort of impact on on everyone's view of Watford. So hopefully they can, you know, turn this one around because they are still plucky, small club in the Premier League when you look at all the, the, the relative budgets. 
but they also used to have a really good model and at the moment it's just not looking quite as as good and as solid is it Dave? I agree with you Mike I think that's a very good point that you make about it is going to only become harder and harder for a club such as Watford or Bournemouth or Fulham or Brentford or Norwich clubs of that nature to come up and stay up and flourish. On the flip side, be increasingly easy for uh, easier for us to go down and come back up. I, I think you're, you're going to see a lot more yo-yo clubs because of the financial disparities right from the top of the Premier League all the way. You know, the Championship sort of mirrors that situation as well. The, the clubs at the top of the Championship are increasingly further ahead of the, the clubs at the bottom. But I think it's going to be increasingly difficult for a club like Watford to stay in the Premier League. Not impossible. And the way you have to do it is be smart. You can you can compete with teams that have vastly superior amounts of money to you if you're cleverer than them. And if you can steal a march on them in the transfer market or by getting a coach that has a big impact. And we haven't been smart enough. We were when we came up. And maybe the, the, the 15, 16 season, the landscape there was a bit more forgiving as evidenced by the fact that Leicester won the league that season and Tottenham was second. Or, or, or nearly won it. I mean, they might have actually finished third in the end. I think it, it was a forgiving landscape. There were some of the big teams who didn't quite have their house in order and we were able to stabilise and we, we persisted in the league then for five seasons, which has given us perhaps a slight false sense of security about where, we, you know, a false sense of expectation about where we should be. It is really, really difficult. The margin for error is really small and we have been way, way off it. We've we've not been clever enough. We've not been good enough. And if you and if you're not, you get a hiding. And that's what we've got this season. So we need to be better. It's not impossible, but unless we get bought out by a billionaire, we're always going to have to survive on our wits as much as our you know more than our finances. And and I'm afraid it's too often it's been witless in the last few seasons. Well, it was interesting. I was speaking to someone um, not that long ago, just in relation to the 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 fact that this season has mirrored the 2019-20 season um, in terms of having three head coaches. And I know Roy is now a manager in himself. And and the source that I was speaking to was basically saying that at that point when they went down, there was a feeling from the, the conversations that he was having with the hierarchy at the football club that they'd acknowledged that things had gone wrong. And then having taken a sort of dip their toe into the sort of warm water of of the championship where you go down and you you win games and it's easy it's like being at a you know like <laughs> i compare it to being at a sort of like a swimming baths old school swimming baths where the the big pool is really really cold and you go okay i'll go and do my lengths in there i'm not really enjoying this but then you know you you take your kids into the smaller kids pool and you t- you dip it and it's like oh it's like having a bath this is lovely. You know it's warm in there, though, Ad, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You take it a piss. Yeah, I think you are. Um, you know, it, you don't want to be in there. It's a great analogy. It works on, on various different levels. You don't want to be in there because it's full of piss. However, <laughs> you don't want to be in there, but it's, it is quite sort of comforting at the same time. Anyway, swimming in the, in the pissy small pool of the championship actually didn't allow that continued reflection that was needed after the 2019-20 season and look I know that there was the extra complication of the pandemic and playing football behind closed doors and all that sort of stuff but that didn't carry on 
and they should have made sure that they actually learnt lessons and they didn't. But then, con you know, contrasting that, you could say that they maybe did. They, they stuck with Shisco Munoz, probably against their better judgment. And that has then led to this sort of cascade once again this season. So I don't know, it's it's been a very, it's been, well, it's been fascinating for, from my point of view, watching this season again, follow the same path as 2019-20. And we'll just see if Roy, maybe, maybe is, is I don't know, more able to continue a fight all the way up until the end of the season, whereas Nigel Pearson wasn't able to for, for various reasons. So we will just have to hope. We'll have to continue to hope and hope that the home form does turn around. Do you think that home form has any chance of, of an uptick this, this weekend against Arsenal on Sunday on TV? Logic suggests that we'll, we'll, we'll be beaten pretty comfortably because Arsenal are in a pretty good place. They're right at it in terms of racing for the top four they've got games in hand and you know it's in their hands really to finish in the top four which would be an absolutely massive achievement for them given the last few seasons that they've had so I don't expect it to be a complacent Arsenal or a soft Arsenal in, in, in that we have seen in, in relatively recent past at Vicarage Road however we do have that occasional result against the big teams in us still, don't we? Just like we did at the weekend. You know, we went to Old Trafford and we somehow, somehow, we sneaked a point and could have could have snuck all three at the end. Well, they need to take heart from that. that that's yeah. that's the whole point. We had the sort of the situation with Roy about the one step forward and two steps back, and him being a little bit sort of pernickety about what people were saying and all that sort of stuff. And I understand it. That, that's absolutely fine. However, you know, they have to build on it. They have to. They have to have taken something, even if they got, you know, a little bit lucky at, at Old Trafford. Um, and it was interesting from my point of view. I was listening to the the weekend podcast with you, Mike, and it really struck me how sort of level everyone was, even after picking up a point at, at Old Trafford. You know, in the past, you would have gone, yeah, and also the fans that were at Old Trafford was celebrating like we just come away with a you know an FA Cup third round win it was like the most unexpected thing that we you know we we got a draw but we managed to keep a clean sheet and that's what three clean sheets out of four away from home under Roy Hodgson they've shown that they can do it hopefully they can just take that blueprint from you know the away performances and put it into practice at home and i think that this game against arsenal is almost the perfect bridge to do that because they can't be too they can't be too gung ho which which suits Roy's you know heart and soul. Do you think that that's part of the problem in terms of the atmosphere that we were talking about earlier on with the with the Hodgson sort of system and mentality away at Villa Park, away at Turf Moor, away at West Ham, away at Old Trafford, there's much more of a tolerance from the away supporters of a defensive mindset of a of a sort of siege mentality of trying to hold on to something and trying to squeak a result, which we've done on three out of those four occasions. Whereas at home, even though it's Arsenal, and I think there should be some expectation that we're not, you know, it's Arsenal, they're going to have the ball, especially with the way they play. But it's just the grumbles will set in earlier and that sometimes will transmit to the players, which makes that mentality more difficult at home. I think the difference is with, with playing against Arsenal, as we saw when we played against Manchester City and played against Chelsea, they like to play out from the back. 
And the reason why we did well against Chelsea and Manchester City, yes, I know we lost the games and I know Man City were far better than us, but we went toe-to-toe with them and we tried to put pressure on them higher up the pitch. The thing that really, I think, kills it a little bit for the for the home fans is when they see their own side at home retreating into their own half and allowing an away team from the very start of the game, like Brighton, just playing the ball around. It's like... This is this is Vicarage Road. It's our home, and we're just letting you do what you want. Arsenal, conversely, we can't just go in with exactly the same approach as we have done under Roy Hodgson at home. We will, though, won't we? Because look, the, th- the, th- the fact of the matter is, I don't, I don't think we will. And I think that I said it as soon when Roy Hodgson came in, Watford forfeit their right to uh, to be precious or demanding about the way we play football, whether it's home or away, by dint of their dreadful performances for the first two-thirds of the season. Pathetic, week in, week out, losing games that they should have got something out of. And now we find ourselves in a situation where the only realistic opportunity, the only realistic approach is this uber-pragmatic thing where you gum up what was a, a laugh. You know, we talked about three clean sheets out of four away from home. That's brilliant. But before that, it was an average of over three goals a game we were conceding. Let's not forget just how bad Watford have been defensively this season. Shown absolutely no sign of being able to stop any side that, that we've played against at, at, at any stage. We just have to recognise where we're at. We're in, we're in an ungodly scrap to stay, try and stay in the, in the division. And it's sort of diff- clean sheets first and let's see what follows after that because that's the only way we could we could do it. So... I totally, totally understand it. But that said, if it's nil-nil after 93 minutes on uh, on Sunday and Emmanuel Dennis pops up in the 93rd minute with the winner, the roof's going to come off. And everyone will go home with a, with a spring in their step and go, Roy Hodgson masterstroke. It hasn't come off at all at home yet, so everyone's gone home as glum as they have been for, throughout the 90 minutes. But the ends justify the means at this stage of the game. And I think we all recognise that Watford's squad is very, very borderline in terms of quality, whether it's got the quality to stay up or not. We've accepted that it's, you know, there's a there's a fag paper in between whether they're good enough or not, with most people thinking they're probably not. So we know it's going to take a bit of a luck and some sort of a different route to getting the points we need as to just playing teams and, and winning sort of 4-3, three, three, It's not going to happen. The ends justify the means. And if you know, mentioned that Palace game, it's ifs and buts were sweets and nuts, I get it. But if Dennis scores, we go in at two all and they come out for the second half and they keep it tight and they win the game 3-2 somehow... Everything looks very, very different. It's Dave, you said it earlier, it's fine margins in the matches. It's fine margins in the league table. I think we're talking as Watford supporters and the tone from our last three or four podcasts, I've noticed it amongst us. It's re- resignation. Whereas if you're talking to my brother about this today, if you're a Leeds fan or a Brentford fan looking at the table, you wouldn't say that Watford are down. You would say they're in and fighting because of the... Because, you know, they'd mentioned Saar, they'd mentioned Dennis, they'd mentioned Roy Hodgson as a wily old campaigner, they'd mentioned the, the teams we've got to play at home, they'd mentioned the differential in, in points, which isn't huge. We're not 10 points adrift. We're a, we're a, a win and our win and someone else's defeat away for, um, from getting out of the bottom three. We've seen it all season, so we know, <laughs> you know we're almost resigned to it. But it's, it's not over. We have to accept that we've played ourselves into a massive mess 
this is the this is the route that has been decided. We're going to try and get get out of it. And it, and Dave's right; it will not change. As for as for Arsenal, I think they like to play their way through teams. I watched them at, at Brentford, uh, home to Brentford the other the other week, which they actually won pretty comfortably in terms of territory. They they won the game two one. Brentford had a late goal. Arsenal had fifteen corners. Brentford had none. But it wasn't a it wasn't a complete blowout despite those those stats. They still do that Arsenal-y thing of wanting the, the personal the, the, the perfect goal. I think Lacazette as their front man is is questionable. They've got they've got magical game changers. I think Smith Rowe is is gonna be fit and firing again. Um Saka is an absolutely superb player. Odegaard is looking good as well. So look let's not kid ourselves as to the, 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 the quality of opposition we're facing. But they still are that Arsenal side. They still do come unstuck against teams like Watford from, from time to time. We're going to make it as difficult as physically possible for them to walk it walk it through us. So if we stick to the plan, which will be the same plan that we've tried to tried to sort of um, implement in previous home games, let them have the ball, let them break us down, and then we'll try and hit them on the break. It might work against Arsenal. It's a massive ask, just like every game will be this season. It's a huge, huge ask. But in terms of opposition, there is a an ounce of hope for me in this one that we might be able to, this might be the one to stem the tide of this, this dreadful home form. A game against Arsenal and then two away games against Wolves and Southampton. You almost get the feeling like we might have to have a little bit more pain before we actually get into the, the point of the season, which is ultimately going to decide whether we do stay up uh, or go down. Um, because, you know, then it comes with the home games against Everton, Leeds and Brentford and Burnley. Those four home games, they have to obviously get back on track at home in some form, but they do have opportunities, even if it doesn't go to plan uh, this weekend. You look at Burnley, they're up against Chelsea. Leeds are away against Leicester. Uh, Newcastle, I mean, they're pretty much out of it now, but then Norwich against Brentford, that's an interesting one because you almost think, well, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind Norwich winning that because that will really drag Brentford back into it as well, even more so. And we do have a game in hand on Brentford. Um, just going back to the, the style of play under Roy Hodgson, questioning from Lou Orns, who obviously he's very opinionated on, on social media, um, but I think obviously a lot of people appreciate the work that he does as well in terms of pulling things apart sometimes. Do you see any improvement as a team under Roy Hodgson? He doesn't think that he necessarily is is a good manager um, and that maybe you know two and a half years at Crystal Palace should have been a warning sign for us. To be honest, I don't think that there was that much analysis and that much thinking into you know exactly what he's been doing at Crystal Palace and and that sort of thing. It was more, look, Gino Pozzo knows him. He knows that he's an old an old guy that will want to get a team more solid and might give Watford a chance. And we won't know until the end of the season whether that risk pays off. Yes, it might be difficult to watch, but it might be possible. He might be able to grind things out. As you've mentioned, Mike, we know we're all sort of a little bit resigned and we're not thinking that it's that positive. But then strangely, I put on um, in the article that I wrote after the, the Manchester United game, you know, survival is out of Watford's hands. And someone came back to me and said, hang on a minute. No, it's not. We can still stay up. It's not out of our hands. It is technically out of our hands. If everyone wins all of their games, then we're going to go down. And I know that there are teams playing against each other and bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of games in hand, we are going to go down. To, to, to answer to answer Luan's question, though, 
uh, I think a lot of it depends on your perspective. You know, and I, I think, you know, he's someone who probably would prefer, and I'm not saying this is wrong, I probably agree with him, but would prefer a more progressive, a younger coach with a bit more of a long-term plan and a bit more of a, a modern style, if you like. But at the same time, I think, objectively speaking, Roy Hodgson has improved us in some areas. There's no doubt about it that he's improved the defence. You know, we hadn't kept a clean sheet before he turned up. Now we've got three in the last four away games. Yes, as as suspected, we probably look a bit more blunt going forward. Roy Hodgson, turns out, has done the same thing to us that he's done to every other team he's ever managed, pretty much. There's no surprises with him. Will it be enough come the end of the season? Probably not. Was it the best option to us available at the time? Probably just about, yes. You know, you could have chucked in... Diego Martinez or someone like that and seen a bit more of a of an unknown gamble and seen how it how it went but we weren't ready for that that wasn't that, we weren't in that time and space were we at that, at that time and that but moment no one's going to come no one's that's the point that is the, also the point that yes you you might want a young progressive manager you might want a nice plan to be put in place and and to give someone you know a two-year contract and for it to actually be a two-year contract but one as we were talking before the perception of Watford or the image of Watford means that managers go. Well, I'm gonna. I'll, it's all right. I'll think about it. We'll we'll see. You want You're never gonna really want to go there until the summer. Exactly. But I, we were an unmitigated shambles in the in the dying days of Ranieri. I don't think anyone can argue that. And say what you like about the way we're playing now, and its suitability for the modern Premier League. We are more of a team now than we were six weeks ago or whatever however long ago it was so that, yeah, that, that's you know that's my answer to that question uh, that's all I want to say about that <laughs> <laughs> Victorinox the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges mastering functionality innovation iconic design and uncompromising quality with its products the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. A couple more questions before we just briefly talk at the end about um, Dan Gosling and Ashley Fletcher and, you know, switcheroo in the old uh, Premier League squad. Marty has asked any signs of Roy staying beyond this season. Let's uh, let's just see about that. Uh, let's get to the end of the season first of all. I think that's the that's the operative question. Not if Lou Orns is on the uh, on the panel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a no from me. Um, not from me. That was Lou Orns. In terms of yeah, Jack was asking about Siralta. Um, he's not been in the mix at all, and he's now behind Cabaselle. He's behind William Trooster Kong, who are already behind Samir and Cathcart, and we've got Nicholas and Kulu to come back as well. So. At the moment, yes, he is he is out and and he's not being favoured by by Roy Hodgson. But I think, as we've alluded to, the fact that you have a partnership now, it does show that it is good to keep consistency in 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 a back line and have two centre halves playing alongside each other. So until it really breaks down or there's an injury, then there doesn't really seem to be much need to change. Um, Chris, who's got the the handle Nordin Buta. Who was, you know, who's one of those, one of those sort of flash in the pan players that we had in one of our previous seasons um, when we came up and went straight back down. Speaking of 
flashes in the pan potentially is Samuel Kalou. He, he can barely make the bench, let alone the pitch. What's been going on, basically, he's asking. He's barely a splash of oil in the pan at the moment, let alone a flash. <laughs> Yeah, there's not, the, the hob isn't even on, is it? He did come. He came in, briefly appeared on the bench, then was out again, then briefly appeared on the bench and then was out again. The last time he wasn't on the bench, I think Roy said that he'd actually picked up an ankle injury in in training. So, look, this is this is one that was was he was brought in by Moji Bayat, who is who's linked to so many transfers at Watford. It may well be one for the future. It may well be one that comes good, but it's one that we just literally have to to wait and see because we haven't seen him yet. I've seen him run around in a warm up and he looked like he can run, but that's about it. That's all I can say. We've obviously seen clips of him playing elsewhere and there has been sort of flashes of, of brilliance, but we just have to wait and see. Um, Gary Young has, has highlighted, and I like this as a point. Have you noticed the irony of uh, football manager sponsoring Watford? Which, yeah, I think that is uh, that is quite quite good on, on various levels. Should give Miles Jacobson the job. Yeah, Miles knew what he was doing there, didn't he? Yeah. He's, I think yeah, he's probably not that far down the line, actually. People have been asking about um, Ishmael Assar's injury. And I think that with the game being on Sunday, obviously that's an advantage if it is only a knock. Obviously, if it's more serious subsequent to you know him having that, that knee ligament injury, then it will be more of a worry. But at the moment, we don't know. Or Roy didn't seem to think that it was particularly serious after the game at Old Trafford. So hopefully, hopefully uh, he is going to be all right. I'm going to be going to the Watford training ground for the first time in in absolutely ages to actually go to a press conference in person with with Roy Hodgson which will be good I hope <laughs> I hope unless he slaps me in the face the minute he sees me so that will be good on Friday and we'll find out more about Ishmael Asar and I'll, I'll put that on social media but just one final piece that I wanted to point you in the direction of on the athletic is one that um, popped up on Tuesday regarding Dan Gosling and a reprieve for him getting back into the the Premier League squad now it's not confirmed but basically, the long and short of it is that due to the fact that Ashley Fletcher joined New York Red Bulls on loan, it does have an option to buy. That has freed up a space in the Premier League squad. And Dan Gosling, who was one of the guys that was left out along with Danny Rose, he now has the opportunity to be called back in. And an application, as I understand it, has been made to the Premier League. And as I understand it, neither the club nor the Premier League see that there should be any problem in doing this. He's not going to be a game changer for the season, but in terms of being a senior pro, experienced, good lad, knuckles down in training, gets on with it, I quite like the fact that he does get back into that squad. It does have the element of, of it being a bit of a mess. You know, if you knew that Ashley Fletcher was going to be leaving, why didn't you just sort it out the other way round? But there was a little bit of mitigation in the fact that the uh, the MLS transfer window didn't open until the middle of February. So, you know, it might have been that they had an injury. So Fletcher could have played up until that point. So I do sort of understand the fact that it was it was done this way around. But I'm, I'm quite glad after what he did at Norwich and, you know, having been in the Premier League squad in the first half of the season for Gosling to actually be back in there. And he might, you know, Roy might like him. He might, he might actually do a job in the last 10 minutes against Burnley or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's a good move for everyone, isn't it, really? It's a great move for Fletcher. Go and play in New York for a bit. That's more fun than bumming around London <laughs> Colney doing nothing. Yeah, exactly. Well, on a financial side of things as well, it's, it is good because he will play and there's an opportunity that he might, you know, he might be able to be sold for some money if he goes and performs well if they're, if they're not convinced by him. But also he might, 
might be back for the for the championship next season where he might perform well. Maybe. Um, you know, same could be said of Gosling. Um, and look, Gosling, yeah, not going to set the world alight. Could he contribute at some stage between now and the end of the season? I think potentially. If you compare him to Cleverly, I think who is the sort of nearest, you know, most similar type player in the squad that would be competing for a spot, really. Cleverly is better and he's, he's probably a class above him in terms of what they've done over their careers. But Gosling's probably a bit more likely to pop up in the box and score a goal. He's got a bit more forward thrust about him. Again, could do a job from the bench. Feels like a player that Roy would trust and appreciate and would be a willing foot soldier in the system. Um, and there might be injuries, etc. So, yeah, get him. it's good that he's in the squad. It, it, it was no good to anyone, him not being in the squad and just draining you know a wage from the club doing nothing and it's good for him as you know personally and as, as a as a person you know I'm sure it wasn't been wasn't that fun you know being out of the squad and being cast aside and doing nothing but as you said in your piece at it it seems like he is the sort that isn't you know, hasn't complained and has knuckled down and has been a positive influence still and you know if this is a bit of a reward for that then great. And it almost follows on from what we were talking about after you spoke to Aidy Mariapa, doesn't it? About the sort of the way that a, a, a footballer's life can just be so up and down in such a short short space of time. Because obviously Dan Gosling moved down to the area. I think he's got a, a relatively young family, part of a Premier League squad. Then he's not. Now he is again. So perhaps he would have been, you know, his agent would have been on manoeuvres looking for a move elsewhere. Now it, that that might have changed. And and whilst yes, on on one side you do have to to recognise that these guys are obviously paid incredibly handsomely, which does mitigate against some of the the issues. The reality is they're they're professionals who are wanting to do a job. You'd hope. And 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 from what we know about Dan Gosling, he's certainly um, made of that sort of stuff, isn't he? So I think it just a. a Another reminder, just to put yourself, as you were suggesting there, Dave, just put yourself in Dan Gosling's shoes for a bit. And it, and it does show that, that life as a footballer isn't necessarily always uh, a, a bed of roses. Or being a Watford fan, Mike, I think is the, um, is the, is the way <laughs> yeah, to put it as well. It's, it's not good for anyone. More a bed of thorns than a bed of roses. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But in the, same, in the same breath, you did say things can change very quickly for players... Once they're in, sometimes they're in, sometimes they're out. It can change for Watford as well. We have been lacking belief, but we can get it back against Arsenal. Oh, not Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I always have to end on a positive, rousing note. Come on. Come on. I'm trying. I'm trying. And also, and this is one to look out for, um, it's going to be dropping on The Athletic on Friday, a new article uh, regarding the issue of nutmegs, where forget about relegation. Watford are the kings of Europe when it comes to Megs. So look out for that one on The Athletic. And Emmanuel Dennis is the best in Europe when it comes to that. I know where this ends. I know exactly how this story is going to end, right? So oh, if, no. if, I, if I'm right, Ad, we, if we continue at the rate of nutmegs that we are currently, currently producing, we got a chance of breaking the, the record ever since since they started recording this thing, which PSG hold that record. Um, so this is what's going to happen. We will be relegated before the end of the season. And on the last day of the season, 
the only thing we'll have to look forward to in that game is one ne- needing one nutmeg to secure the title, and it will be the celebration like no other. Emmanuel Dennis or nutmeg someone, and the fans will go wild, and it will be great. It'll be an iconic moment. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's hope that that doesn't happen. Let's hope that we are celebrating in the sunshine at Stamford Bridge and we not only are staying up, but we're threading the ball through Antonio Rudiger's legs, uh, Cesar Azpilicueta's legs, Romelu Lukaku's legs with gay abandon. And it doesn't really matter whether we finish top of Europe or not because we will be staying as a, as a Premier League side. Once again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but... Hey ho! We should get a trophy hope- made in, in, in readiness for that moment. A big pair of legs with a ball with a ball in between it. <laughs> that would be good. Let's let's make sure we do. Let's get it done. Let's get yeah. it done. Big pair of legs with a ball between it. What a lovely thought to end on. Nice one, Dave. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, gents. It's been a, it has been a pleasure as always. Um, for everyone listening, uh, if you want to be part of uh, the Athletic and read some of the articles that we've mentioned and. Uh, not only here from me, uh, but a whole host of uh, wonderful writers on The Athletic writing about a whole host of subjects. And obviously, uh, there are far more serious things going on in the world at the moment. But hopefully, we've uh, we've given you a little bit, a little bit of light relief. Um, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery and you can pick up the latest uh, offer there. Mike, thank you very much indeed. Not at all. Just on a on a serious note, um, I just wanted to say a very quick hello to a couple of friends of mine, um, Tom and Will, huge Watford fans, known them all my life. Uh, Tom's taken me all sorts of places, me and my brother and Will, travelling the length and breadth watching Watford over the years. Uh, very sad news this week. They lost their, their mum after a very, very difficult um, couple of weeks. So I just wanted to um, shout out those guys and say uh, that, that we're all thinking of you. Um, and uh, hopefully Watford can uh, can deliver some better news this weekend. Here, here. Dave, good to have you on the show as well. Thanks, guys. And we will see you after the Arsenal game. And fingers crossed, all goes to plan. At home, the fortress, Vicarage Road. <laughs> Take care, everyone. The Athletic.